Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Well, another day, another mass shooting in America. This following uh, by one week, the NRA holding a uh, celebration, basically, that the city of Boulder, which had passed a law saying, no, you can't have assault weapons in our city, that got struck down because there's a state law that says you can have anything you want. And so a federal judge said, sorry, preemption, all that kind of stuff. It's amazing. So the piece that I published over at HartmanReport.com was about the background of the Second Amendment. It was not so that everybody can, any paranoid schizophrenic who wants, and that it appears that that's what this shooter was, 21 years old, telling his sister and brother that uh, people were constantly following him and, you know, they're eating a meal and, oh, look at, they're watching me. I mean, this is a clinical mental illness. What is a mentally ill person doing with a weapon of war? For that matter, what is anybody in America doing with a weapon of war, carrying them around on our streets? Is it time to end the Second Amendment, or is it time to at least overturn Heller? Although even with the Heller decision, you can have rules or laws or policy, depending on, I guess laws would be the word, that say, no, you can't have these weapons of mass destruction. These are weapons of war they belong on the battlefield and we want to have as few battlefields as possible i think there's a consensus about that after you know george w bush and dick cheney lied us into the literally the longest war in american history two of them afghanistan and iraq but i think it's time to just say okay that's it enough now, I've, I've been saying that on this program for, what, 17 years? <laughs> so, but yes, I want to talk about this and discuss it with you. You know, your thoughts on gun control, what would be reasonable gun control in the United States, how it should be done, when it should be done, where it should be done. Should we overturn Heller? Is that the source of the problem? Somebody tweeted in response to the piece that I published, you know, they used to say all roads lead to Rome. In America, all roads lead to race. Because the reason the Second Amendment was written the way it was, at the time it was, was to preserve the slave patrols in Virginia, Georgia, and South Carolina. I mean, you know, it's just very straightforward stuff. And if you have any doubts about it at all, go over to HartmanReport.com. You can read the piece I published. Where do we begin with this? To start out, I want to just ask the question, is it time to end the Second Amendment? It's almost the wrong question because up until the 1970s, nobody was suggesting in the United States that the Second Amendment meant that any old person could buy a weapon of war or for that matter, even a rifle or a pistol. Literally up until the 1970s. This has, this uh, really the early 1980s, but it was in the mid-1970s. I lay this all out in, in, in my book, The Hidden History of Guns and the Second Amendment. If you want the details and the footnotes and the references and the links and all that kind of stuff, it's all over there. But what happened was in the mid-1970s, as I recall, it was 73 or 74. At that point in time, the National Rifle Association, the NRA, was a sportsman's club. Back in the late 1950s or early 60s, I was in Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts for a little less than a year. And my mom was a den mother in Cub Scouts. 
and the local NRA guy came in and showed us how to use our BB guns. It's funny, I just bought some comic books, old ones, you know, in fact, I bought them on eBay for my grandson, uh, who's three. He's not quite ready to read them, but uh, I got some, you know, Huey, Dewey, and Louie and stuff like that. And these comic books from the early 1960s, the inside front cover was a full page ad for a Remington Daisy BB gun for a young boy. And I mean, that was about as far as they went. And, and you know, I had a BB gun when I was a kid and they were all over the place. And the NRA was all about teaching you how to shoot safely and how to be a responsible gun owner. My mom had grown up around guns. It didn't, you know, she wasn't all anti-gun or anything like that. My dad was like, yeah, you know. Uh, he was in the army, he learned how to use a gun. You know, he joined the army just before World War II ended. But then in the 73 or 74, in The Rifleman, the NRA magazine, a fellow who it later turned out to be a high school student published an op-ed saying that the reason that the Second Amendment was written was so that if the American government was ever taken over by communists, that the American people could rise up and take down the government. Now, nobody had ever suggested this seriously before. The founders and framers never suggested this. In fact, it was the exact opposite. There are two reasons for the Second Amendment. The first was that they did not want to, there was this huge debate about whether or not we should have an army during times of peace. That ultimately got resolved in Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution that says that the army may only be authorized for two years. It's the only limit in the entire Constitution on how long Congress can appropriate money for. And it limits the military to a two-year appropriation so that every two years Congress has to meet and decide whether we're going to continue to have a standing army or whether we're just going to do like Switzerland and let the state militias um, you know, be our army. Well, that, that debate ended you know, with the War of 1812, literally. Nobody brought that up again. And the second reason the Second Amendment was written was so Virginia and Georgia and South Carolina, as I mentioned earlier, could maintain their slave patrols. So this story in The Rifleman in the NRA's magazine was just complete BS made up by a high school kid. But it took on a life of its own, so much so that in the Heller decision, Scalia quotes some obscure Pennsylvania anti-federalist who was an opponent of ratifying the Constitution, talking about you know the need for self-defense and defense against a tyrannical government. And here we are. Now you've got millions of people in America who think that their God-given right to a gun is so they can take down their government, and which is what they tried to do on January 6th. This is like, you know, bringing together all these threads, it's just absolutely amazing. This is the Tom Hartman Program. What are your thoughts on gun control? At what point do we get some rational policies? You know, we had a, an assault weapons ban in the United States. It worked. John in Springfield, Illinois. Hey, John, thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV. What's on your mind today? I say get rid of the Second Amendment. You know, it's this ocean of blood that we've lived through in my lifetime. I was born in 1959. It's just ridiculous. And I, I remember when I had a friend, his father was a hunter, and that, that was, you're right, the NRA was just a hunting. And they were about conservancy and all that. And that was fine. It didn't bother me. But ever since that nonsense, I mean, you know, the just the image of that, that kid in Kenosha walking around and passed the police with a long gun over his arm and they didn't even stop him. And now these, right. all this bloodbath and it's just, I, I'm just forgetting rid of it. You know, that's my opinion. And so, so John, how do you think we should do that? I mean, you, it takes a constitutional amendment to remove a constitutional amendment. The alternative is to have the Supreme Court reconsider Heller, but I think with the current six to three right-wing crank posture of the Supreme Court, that probably wouldn't fly. What are your thoughts? 
Well, I think you're right, and I think it would just have to be a cultural change, and I just don't understand how this past week and just of such horror and just all these shootings over the years. I mean, I'm just hoping for people to change their mind, but I guess I can't cross my fingers. We had Trump for president, so. Seven mass shootings in seven days in the United States. Three of them were just, you know, all on last Saturday. I mean, it's just, this is is crazy. It really is. John, thank you for the call. Courtney in Brooklyn, New York. Hey, Courtney, what's up? Hello, good afternoon, Tom. My thoughts on gun control and everything. I don't believe when it comes to policy and the law, removing the Second Amendment won't really affect this type of issue because when it comes to obtaining things, if you make the laws tighter, people just find a way around the laws and still attain possession of these firearms. And when they have to go around the law, it may be more cantankerous and volatile people that fit this description of these horrible incidents that get these firearms. Then how has this worked in other countries, Courtney? You know, in 1998, there was a slaughter in Australia or in Tasmania, just off the coast of Australia, an island owned by Australia. And the entire country said, OK, that's it. Enough. I mean, they actually showed the pictures of the dead people in the newspapers, and which is what flipped everybody. And they did a massive gun buyback program. They bought back hundreds of thousands of guns from people and destroyed them. And Australia has not had a mass shooting since then. Prior to 1998, they were having a mass shooting several times a year, every single year. Well, why are we different? I feel like this has something to do with the psychological consciousness of people when it comes to program thinking and everything. Like, this is the second time a 21-year-old individual has, second time this week a 21-year-old individual has done this. If they loosen the gun laws, maybe people would sense will have will be able to attain these weapons and be able to defend themselves so it would discourage these people from trying yeah, to yeah no courtney as, i'm sorry if everybody in that supermarket had, had a gun you'd have a hell of a lot more dead people right now that old wild west uh, you know bs from the nra is just that it's bs courtney thanks for the call so here are the arguments here's the debate The NRA and the gun manufacturers and the politicians who are owned by the NRA and the gun manufacturers, and make no mistake about it, that's virtually the entire Republican Party and a few not insignificant number of Democrats. But mostly now this has become the Republican Party's thing, their hobby horse. And they're taking a couple of different positions. Number one, that the way to have dealt with this mentally ill man who walked into the supermarket with a, an AR-15 style weapon. Uh, we don't know the details specifically of what it was yet, or if we do, I haven't seen that, but other than it being described as an assault weapon. But number one, you know, they would argue that, well, you know, if, if everybody in that supermarket was packing heat, when he started shooting, they, you know, they just would have pulled out their guns and started firing. Right. And how many of those people would have ended up with suicides at home as a result of having a gun? You know, the most common outcome of people owning a gun, having a gun in their home, is suicide. The second most common outcome is accidental death. Number one. And number two, oh, we're going to have a whole bunch of people with guns just whip them out and start shooting and somehow they're all magically going to hit the bad guy and no good guys are going to, you know, actually. So, so let's just lay that to rest as a fantasy, you know, an old John Wayne movie fantasy, but it's complete BS. Number one. Number two, you've got, you know, the NRA's slogan, or I'm, I'm not sure if it's their official slogan or anything like that, but I've seen it on, on bumper stickers with their logo. An armed society is a polite society. Let's be clear about this. Guns are things that are used to kill people. You could argue that rifles are designed to kill wildlife, but assault weapons are designed to kill human beings on the battlefield, and pistols are designed exclusively to kill human beings. You know, yeah, there were a few people who, you know, carried them in the Wild West to shoot an occasional rattlesnake, but really they were designed, they were invented, they were marketed, they were manufactured to kill human beings. 
And I realize that for some very insecure men, there is this incredible rush of adrenaline and testosterone that they get when they walk around carrying a gun in a way that other people can see, which is why they push for these open carry laws. So that as they're strutting around in public, they're thinking to themselves, those people realize that I could kill them if I wanted to. They must be afraid of me. And for the first time in their lives, these very insecure men suddenly feel like they're tough guys. But is that a reason for us to allow mass murders to happen every single day in the United States? Is that a reason to have school shootings so that a few insecure men can jack their testosterone levels? So I think we can kind of set that one aside. You need a gun to protect yourself in your home? Okay, there are some parts of this country where that may be true. I'm not saying, gee, we shouldn't have any guns at all. But if somebody's going to have a gun in their home, they should at the very least, number one, undergo a background check, number two, demonstrate that they have a need for it or that there is some danger in the neighborhood or the place where they live, and number three, go through training and understand the, the dangers associated with that weapon. Anybody who's been through the military or through any police academy understands this. This is solid stuff. And then number four, that they're required to keep it in a cabinet, in a locked cabinet that they have access to and their children don't. And they've got fancy ones now that open instantly on a thumbprint. I'm not saying get rid of all guns in America, but we have more guns than we have people. And about a third of all guns in America are owned by fewer than 5% of us. In fact, the numbers are actually, I'm doing that from memory, the numbers I believe are a little worse than that. And this is not making this country any safer. It's not making us any more secure. It is making a bunch of lobbyists a pile of money. It is making the gun industry very, very wealthy. But what possible value does this have, you know, for all the rest of us? I'm not tracking this. I'm not following this. Oh, I have a right to a gun. Right, so seriously, we live in a country where you don't have a right to an education. We live in a country where you don't have a right to health care. And the Republicans are totally 100% with that, right? Betsy DeVos trying to privatize our schools. The Republicans battling Obamacare. Not a single one voted for it. And, you know, I'm getting emails from right-wing groups going, oh my God, Obama wants to lower the Medicare eligibility age and, and uh, do a public option. Oh my God, we can't have... You don't have a right to health care. You don't have a right to education. You don't have a right to housing. We've got, you know, the biggest homeless problem in the developed world. But we have a right to own a gun. That seems like a pretty crappy trade-out to me. Am I missing something here? So the question, I think, is how do we go about waking America up to how toxic and destructive this so-called gun culture that has been sold to us basically since the Reagan Revolution. As I said before, in, in the 1970s, the NRA was a sportsman group. All that changed when Reagan came into office. And the NRA and the Republican Party got in bed with each other. And suddenly, a new thing was born. How do we get out of this? Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is by Alan J. Lichtman, and it's titled Repeal the Second Amendment, The Case for a Safer America. This is from the introduction, uh, titled The Book That Must Be Written. On April 28, 1996, 28-year-old Martin Bryant stopped at an inn near his home of Newtown in Tasmania, Australia, and shot to death its two owners. He then drove to the former penal colony and tourist attraction of Port Arthur, where he lunched at a cafe. After eating, Brian pulled from his sports bag a semi-automatic rifle with a 30-round magazine that he had legally purchased through a newspaper ad. With no provocation, he began firing at patrons in the cafe and its gift shop. Before the police stopped his shooting spree, Bryant had murdered 35 and wounded 18 others. His motive remains unknown. There were people everywhere, bodies, said witness Lynn Beavis. I thought at the time, being a nurse, I've seen dead people, I've seen blood, I've seen things like this, but what I saw in there, nobody but perhaps a soldier would know what that was like. The leadership of a shocked nation responded to the Port Arthur massacre, not with thoughts and prayers, but with decisive action. The country's conservative-led government rebuffed their gun lobby and its American ally, the NRA, to adopt comprehensive national gun controls. In a 2015 broadside labeled Australia, There Will Be Blood, the NRA charged that those regulations, which Australia significantly tightened as of 2002, have, quote, robbed Australians of their right to self-defense and empowered criminals. If the NRA was right, America, with its lax control over firearms for alleged self-defense, should be one of the world's safest countries, certainly far safer than Australia, where criminals presumably evade gun controls to prey on defenseless, law-abiding citizens. Yet in the latest reporting year, gun homicides claimed 14,542 American lives, compared to 27 in Australia. And all homicides took 19,510 American lives, compared to 222 in Australia. Since the NRA issued its warning, firearm homicides have declined in Australia, while soaring by 3,534 in the U.S. An American is now over 30 times more likely per capita than an Australian to be murdered by a gun, and seven times more likely to be murdered by any means. If we had rates comparable today to Australia's, some 14,000 American lives would have, would have been saved from firearm homicides in 2017 alone. By the gun lobby's twisted logic, Japan, which has one of the world's strictest gun control laws, should be drenched in innocent blood. Yet out of a population of 127 million, shooters in Japan murdered only three persons and injured only five in firearm assaults throughout 2017. Australia and Japan are not outliers. As compared to residents of our closest peer democracies in the G7 group of nations plus Australia, an American in 2017 was over 20 times more likely to die from a gun homicide. The gun lobby would have you forget that gun deaths are not limited to murders. In 2017, 23,854 Americans died from gun suicides, 64% more than were killed in hot firearm homicides. As compared to the peer nations, the 2017 per capita rate of firearm suicides in the United States was seven times higher, while the rate of suicides by other means was 40% lower. These other democracies all have strict firearm regulations. None has a constitutional right to keep or bear arms, a distinction the United States shares worldwide only with Guatemala, whose gun murder rate is the third highest of some 195 nations worldwide. Why has America lagged behind the democratic world in protecting its citizens from needless death and injury? The culprit is not spending by the NRA on campaigns and lobbying, which other pressure groups exceeded. The real problem is that which gun control advocates fear to name the Second Amendment. Led by the NRA, the gun lobby exploits a historically defective, perverse reinvention of this amendment to inspire their grassroots supporters, sell guns, and provide constitutional cover for their op opposition to making us safer by regulating firearms. 
The competing movement for gun control has floundered in response to the gun lobby's triumphant marketing of the Second Amendment. Gun control advocates have righteous zeal and noble motives, but lack a winning strategy. Instead of forthrightly refuting the lobby's bogus claims, the gun control movement has instead fallen into the trap of lamely insisting, we support the Second Amendment, but we also support responsible gun control. With such a self-defeating strategy, the movement can never win. It plays on the gun lobby's home turf and fails to rally the American majority that favors stricter firearms regulations. It provokes only scorn from a gun lobby that dismisses yes-but assurances as rank hypocrisy. And it ignores the clear history and the true meaning of the Second Amendment itself. The movement for gun control must strike hard with a new strategy. Repeal of the Second Amendment is not only right, but realistic. It would break open the political logjam and open a path for the comprehensive national gun control and safety measures that have eluded the American people for so long. None of these measures would confiscate firearms or stop Americans from using guns for hunting, sports shooting, antique collecting, or legitimate self-defense. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of the free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. These form the Second Amendment. Book Repeal the Second Amendment by Alan J. Lichtman. You know, I do want to do a somewhat deeper dive here about the American Taliban and how they've essentially seized our courts. This is the piece that I published over at Hartman Report. And the American Taliban is having their moment right now, right? The billionaire groups are riding its energy toward larger and larger profits, more and more control of government. And in the process, it's showing how dark money groups have corrupted our courts. This weekend, I don't know if you saw this on Sunday, Dana Bash was doing whatever that show on CNN on Sunday mornings is called, whatever it is. And she had Asa Hutchinson on. Uh, Asa Hutchinson is the governor of Arkansas. And he just signed a bill that puts women in prison if they have abortions, even if they were impregnated through rape or incest. And she said, why'd you do that? And he basically said, well, you know, I would have preferred that we had a rape or incest provision, but the reason we did this really uh, was to get it before the Supreme Court. And she just kind of left it at that. But really, I mean, at that point, I would have gone, oh, so you want the entire United States women who get abortions to go to prison, even if they've been raped or the pregnancy is the product of incest. I mean, that would have been my next question. But in any case, this is what's going on. He wants to get this thing before the Supreme Court. And he's coordinating with groups who have this as an agenda, but this is kind of the narrow bore agenda that they publicize. Because this is a shout out to the Republican base, to white evangelicals, to Catholics. Although more than half of Catholics think that abortion should be available. I mean, the studies, there's just absolutely no shortage of studies. But still, you know, there's fewer than half of Catholics think that abortion should be illegal under all circumstances, and he's, he's shouting out to them. But basically what we've got now is six right-wingers on the court, three who've already made their preferences known, or at least implied strongly, that they think that abortion should become criminalized. And then you've got Neil Gorsuch, who has written in his opinions that both abortion and birth control should be something that a state could ban. You've got Amy Coney Barrett, who had never been a judge before when Barack Obama appointed a highly qualified judge, Myra Selby, a black woman, to be on the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. Mitch McConnell blocked her so that he could put Amy Coney Barrett in that seat because she'd never been a judge before. She had no experience so that she could then segue from that into the Supreme Court, which is exactly what he did. But like I said, the visible part of their effort is abortion. 
the invisible part of the effort, but the real reason why they are cranking out all this money. Leonard Leo's groups have poured $250 million into these efforts, into packing our courts. $10 million into Amy Coney Barrett, $10 million into Neil Gorsuch, $10 million into Brett Kavanaugh through the so-called Judicial Crisis Network. Now he's got a new group. That group kind of got a bad name. So, But what they're really all about is restricting voting rights, expanding the rights of polluters to pollute, expanding corporate profits, lowering taxes on billionaires and corporations, making it harder for people to sue to get information about how companies are hurting them or screwing them, making it harder for, for consumers and employees to hold their employers uh, responsible for, for injuries or crimes, making it harder for working people to unionize. This is the real agenda of these people. There's a reason why there's a bunch of billionaires who are behind this, and it's not because they're anti-abortion fanatics. If they were anti-abortion fanatics and they really wanted to cut abortion, they would be funding programs to make birth control more, more available. They're not. In fact, many of them are even opposed to birth control. It's a whole other topic. But. So, and and the, everything they're trying to do is get this, all these different things, all these different things that I just talked about, to the Supreme Court so that they can, quote, fix America. Well, I think we need to fix the Supreme Court. First of all, John Roberts, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, in a letter to Congress a while ago, said that there's a crisis going on in the court, not, not in the Supreme Court so much, although it's happening there too, but across the federal bench, bench, there's not enough judges. There's too many cases. So they need to expand the federal judiciary, and then they need to add four more people in the next four years to the U.S. Supreme Court. So that to make it more representative of America. Right now we've got what? Five Catholics, six Catholics on the court? You're listening to the Tom Hartman program. And you know, I'm not explicitly anti-Catholic, but hey, how about some diversity on the court? To make it representative of America. When Tim McVeigh, back in the 90s, I think it was, blew up the federal building, yeah, it, it had to be in the 90s, it was during the, during the Clinton presidency, blew up the federal building in Oklahoma City. As we later learned, he was following the storyline, essentially, of a novel that is very popular among these fringe right-wing conspiracy fantasy, fantasy folks. And it, it's laid out in a book called The Turner Diaries, which was published back in the 70s and became a big underground hit in the 80s among this, this, this kind of underground right-wing gun-nut crowd. And in that book, the hero of the novel blows up a federal building and in response to that, the President of the United States clamps down on white right-wing militias and starts sending the federal police door-to-door -to, -door to collect guns from white people who are you know, good, upstanding, patriotic Americans. And those good, upstanding, white, patriotic Americans decide that's enough, and they turn their guns on the government, and they turn their guns on black people, and they turn their guns on Hispanic people, and they turn their guns on Jewish people. And at the end of the novel, the hero is left kind of standing on a pile of dead humans. I mean, not literally, but metaphorically. And America has once again become a white nation. That's the, that's the novel. You don't have to buy it or read it. And Tim McVeigh read that novel and, saw, and thought, Bill Clinton's the guy. 
Now, keep in mind, this was after Ruby Ridge. This was after Waco. In fact, it was, as I recall, it was on the second anniversary of Waco. I may be misremembering, but it's been, it's been more than 20 years now, but that, that's my recollection. And he thought he was going to start a race war. He thought he was going to start a war not just between white and black people, but also a war between good white Christian patriots and the government. And of course, that's not how it played out. But I think that's also what the people who were storming the Capitol on January 6th, I, I, I would submit to you that probably a large percentage of at least the people involved in the organizing and planning were people who had read the Turner Diaries and had that same mindset as Tim McVeigh. And we need to call this what it is. It's domestic terrorism. And we are giving domestic terrorists the weapons of terror. Anyhow, enough of my rant. Let's pick up your thoughts. James in Chicago. Hey, James, what's up? Hey, Tom, how you doing? I just want to state the caller that you just had who said everybody should have a gun. That's ridiculous, and I'll tell you why. Chicago, up until a couple of years ago, uh, it was against the law to carry a gun on the street. I mean, you could have a gun for your home, but on the streets, no. But once the Supreme Court uh, relaxed that law and everybody was able to carry a gun in Chicago, now you Every time you look around, shoot, shoot, shoot. If I look at you wrong, shoot. So that's uh, not true what he was saying. But also, I, yeah. I kind of disagree with you on something for a change, Tom. Uh, now, the Second Amendment says that you have a right to bear arms. And I know you like guns. And I, I actually have concealed carry, and I have a couple. But if I had my way, uh, the right to bear arms would be this. Uh, you're allowed to carry, you're allowed to own a rifle. You're not allowed to have anything that you can conceal. You're not allowed to have semi-automatics and automatics so that if you have a rifle, that can be seen. Now, now that's my personal view of having the right to bear an arm because, mm. okay, you have a right to bear arms. Okay, we're going to allow you to bear arm. It's a rifle. Simple to the yeah. point. You know, so that, that's why I kind of disagree with you. But, but this thing about everybody owning a gun, like you said, is ridiculous. Well, I think that's the debate we should be having, James, is if we're going to have gun control in the United States, what are we going to allow and what are we not going to allow? I would say that in terms of pistols, it should only be revolvers. We should not have semi-automatic pistols. Those are weapons of war or law enforcement. Um, and, and in fact, even law enforcement didn't start using semi-automatic pistols until, until the 90s, until it became popular on the cop shows and then everybody had to have it. Um, you, they used to use revolvers, number one. And number two, I'm with you on the rifles. You know, there, there are still a few people, particularly in rural areas who hunt, but I think that there needs to be, you know, we need to reconsider this and say, you know, healthcare is a, should be a right, education should be a right, housing should be a right, owning a gun should be a privilege. And we've got it upside down. Owning a gun is a right and all those other things are, are mere privileges. And that just seems crazy to me. But James, I think you've started a, a great conversation. I appreciate your thoughts on it. Thank you. Shane in Boulder. Hey, Shane, you're right there in the epicenter. Tell me about it. Yeah, we, um, I saw the news like three minutes after it happened. My niece had texted me, are you guys okay? And I was mm -hmm. just looking for a COVID vaccine at King Supers um, to schedule it, ironically. And um, I just went to my physical therapist and everybody, every, it's just this, there's just this somber feeling. I mean, everybody's afraid to go out now. And my wife is Asian, and I'm, we, there's, we have no motive yet, but I just wanted to remind everybody that Andrew Hartman, the district judge, blocked the ban 10 days ago on assault weapons in Boulder. Only because two people at gun shop challenged the ban, so he sided with that, that ban just 10 days ago. Right. You know, we have the Congresswoman Biebert, on the Western Slope, who uses her backdrop as assault weapons. And so that just adds to the gun freak attitude here. Boulder is a very liberal city, but we have pockets of this right-wing, hardcore mentality, dementia here that I run into. It's crazy. It's gotten worse, too. It's gotten much worse. But mm -hmm. 
it's hard to believe that it's happened just a couple of miles from my home, and and my wife's work is a mile from where it happened. And so they had to shut down all the streets. But remember, Trump allowed the mentally ill to have guns. Well, that was one of his first executive orders. So it's just it's crazy to have it have it happen in such I a liberal town. That. Yeah, I mean, what number was it? I don't know. Number five, his first executive order, yeah. besides taking women's yeah. rights, but it was one of his first. And letting exe- coal mining companies pour waste into rivers. Yeah. Yeah, first hundred days. So you know, we need to vote out Lauren Biebert and support Carrie Donovan. Mm-hmm. The shooter, the shooter actually drove from Arvada to Boulder, so he's not a resident of Boulder. Hmm. So. We, and he got the assault weapon the same day, apparently. I'm not sure if I got my yeah. fact right on it, but I think he got the AR-15 the same I day. I've seen that reported, but I think that, you know, they're still, they're still sorting these things out. But to, to the point that you made, this is a story from Newsweek. The Colorado State Shooting Association, CSSA, publicly celebrated a court ruling that struck down a gun control ordinance passed by the Boulder City Council one week before a mass shooting in that city. The group is the official state association of the National Rifle Association and issued a statement on Twitter early on Tuesday emphasizing the need to grieve for the deceased and saying now is not the time to discuss firearms reform, which is what they always say whenever there's a shooting. Oh, it's too emotional. We shouldn't discuss this right now. And you always. said uh, Lauren Biebert. Is that, is that how she pronounces her name? I thought it was Bobert. I, 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 have I been saying it wrong all this time? I mean, you live in the state. I don't state. know, and I don't care. Um, I just know that she <laughs> okay, needs to... I'm with you. Well, she yeah, tweeted she last night. To... She tweeted, may God be with them instead yeah, of thoughts right. and prayers. And so I retweeted her tweet saying, oh, I guess may God be with them is the new phrase for people who take money from the gun industry and suck up to the gun industry and promote the, you know, more and more weapons in the United States uh, every time there's a mass shooting. Shane, I got to run. Andrew Hartman uh, th- was the judge. Andrew Hartman was the judge. Okay. Hard to forget that name. Shane, yeah. <laughs> and I promise you, no relation. Shane, thank you for the call. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. George in Los Angeles. Hey, George, what's up? Thank you for the call, sir. I'm the liberal who's called in before, who's a gun owner. I just wanted to ask you, because I respect your intelligence, you're an intelligent man. Should the German Jews have risen up with arms against Hitler? They tried to. On multiple yeah, occasions. Yeah, well, they tried to, were, but he, dis- were, he disarmed them. No, he disarmed that, them. It was called the enabling law. Yeah, no, I'm familiar with that. And, and he also promoted arms among good white Aryan Germans. In fact, they, they started gun clubs for young people yes. in Germany. I agree um, with you. So, you have to be a member of the Nazi party. Right. So let me turn the question around, George. Um, do you think that there is any possibility whatsoever that if the Jews had tried to take on the German army from within Germany, they would have had any success? Well, one fights for your life, like the French, you know, the French resistance. You, uh, it, it beats being led like sheep to the slaughter. I'll tell you something, Tom. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a gay liberal. Some men tried to kill me back in the 70s. They came out of the shadows with knives and tried to kill me. I was carrying 
an illegal handgun. And because I pulled that, I was able to run them off and not hurt anybody. So if I hadn't been armed with a handgun, I wouldn't be talking. Yeah, those, those kind of anecdotes, George, are the things that are used to, to sell, you know, whether true or not, are the things that are used to sell handguns all the time. But the fact of the matter is, if you had a handgun or if you have a handgun, you're more likely in the United States to use it to commit suicide or accidentally uh, kill somebody or have somebody accidentally killed with your gun than ever to defend yourself. And I'm telling yeah, you, all- there is no way that any minority group in the United States that feels persecuted. This whole thing about Germany and the Jews is, is, a, is an absolute straw man argument. There is no way that any group in this country is going to be able to successfully take on the United States government, no matter how well they are, armed they are. And, and, and hopefully our government, you know, you know, had we had another four years of Trump, it might be liberals like you and me that Trump was coming after, but even no matter how well armed we are, they wouldn't stop them, just like it didn't stop Hitler in the 1930s. Arms are not the solution. The solution is to get politically active inside your country and help, you know, basically make your government work properly, sound the alarm. I mean, the big problem in Germany, and I, you know, if you really want to go down this road, George, I strongly recommend that you read William Shearer's book, The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. The, the big problem in Germany, from the point of view of the Jews, as well as, and by the way, it wasn't the Jews who were the first group that Hitler came after. That was the trade unionists and the, and the communists. They were the first people he came after. I mean, he attacked the Jews in Mein Kampf. He talked about the Jews all the way back in the 1920s. But using the force of the law, he used the force of the law first against the communists and then the trade unionists, as Pastor Niemöller pointed out. And, and, and yep. that... That that is not. I, I I lost track of where I was going with that rant, but <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, it's just I, no, no. It was my it's my fault. What I, what I'm telling you is that it it is it is not. Oh, I remember what I was saying is that you know there were Jews who were who were uh, Jewish leaders who were saying you know well you know he's just this is just rhetoric and he's just saying these things and you know we've got to work this stuff out. Um, you have to take politicians seriously. When Donald Trump starts spreading murderous stuff, you know, we spent the first three years of his presidency not taking him seriously. Then we started taking him seriously, and now he's out. Had that happened in Germany more aggressively in 32, 33, and frankly back in 27, 28, 29 after he got out of prison, I think it might have been a very different story. But this is not about whether the Jews in Germany were armed. Again, as I said, that's a straw, straw man argument. George, thank you for the call. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you and uh, Dave in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, Dave, what's up? Hey, not too much, Tom. You know, as far as like um, this, uh, this idea that, um, you know, the, the, the Jewish people or any of Hitler's victims would have been saved by guns, it's sort of ridiculous because I know you know a lot about debasification in Iraq. You're right, right. And, mm-hmm. and you, you know about debasification in Iraq, right? Well, most of the Iraqi um, police were Baathists, right? So when we got rid of debathification, de- de- it left a lot of lawless areas, right? So, so basically, Iraq was all just mar- martial law. That's why martial law doesn't work, okay? Iraq was essentially a, a debacle in martial law, all right? And um, here's the deal. We allowed them, der- you know, there was an insurgency going on, a very robust one, right? We all know that. And we allowed them to keep AK-47s Number, you know, small arms for two reasons. Number one, you know, they, they kind of needed them because of no law. Number two, you know, it, it made us look, you know, a little bit more prevalent. And number three, it's not a threat. But small arms like that really aren't a tangible threat to a military, especially the United States military. So, Dave, what's your point? Threat. Oh, my point is this whole thing, this whole argument about, you know, um, you need these small arms. But my overall point is, look, um, you go to Texas, you go to a lot of these right-wing states, right? They are seriously talking secession. But their, um, their, their, their main topics aren't really tangible, like during the Civil War. All right, you know, um, there was a very explicit so Dave, what's your point? difference in thinking. 
Well, my point is, is if if they if if we do um, if we do modify or or do anything with the Second Amendment, that probably would drive um, right wingers. That's a serious issue that they probably would secede over. You know, driving right wingers nuts is not is not at the top of my. Oh my God, I don't want to do that list, Dave. Um, at the at the moment. Thank you very much for the call, Maverick in Edmonds, Washington. Hey, Maverick, what's up? Tom, I'm in. Uh, I'm in a bit of a probably a unique category here. I'm a very peaceful person, probably 90% vegetarian because I can't stand the violence that goes, you know, that comes with eating animals. Um, however, I am a target shooter, and I've carried a pistol Me too. for 30 years. Not, not, not very many people know that I carry a pistol. Uh, I have a license in I think 39 states to carry a concealed weapon. And uh, mostly it's because, I'm, I'm a little embarrassed, but uh, I'm scared of dogs. Uh, when I was a little kid, this girl I was playing with in front of my house in Chicago got mauled by a dog, and I, I don't know how many surgeries she had on her face, but it changed me forever. And uh, I'm partly disabled. I can't run very well. So uh, some of my football buddies were, uh, we watched the Seahawks games, and I found out that one, if not more of them, is one of the three percenters, which scared the shrimp out of me. And uh, I don't know how to, I don't even know what I want to do with this guy right now because uh, the three percenters uh, are, I think, a dangerous group of people. But if I had, and I really like target shooting, and I have a whole bunch of guns, just like I have a whole bunch of kitchen knives and pots and pans, because each one's a little different and they serve a slightly different purpose, so it's just kind of a variety of things. My favorite is my, my little 22 target pistol. I like it because it's kind of quiet compared to the other ones. I don't like the noise. But for some reason, uh, the concentration uh, of me just competing against myself, trying to be a little bit better every time, uh, I find that relaxing after I'm all done. But um, if I had a magic button, and this was some little fantasy that I developed when I was a child to solve my difficulties, and I could push that magic button, and I could make every gun in this country disappear, including my own, I'd do it in a second. Because every time I hear one of these stories about another mass shooting, it sickens me, and it makes me angry. And anger is a secondary emotion. It usually is preceded by fear and anxiety and, and sadness, maybe. I'm, I'm embarrassed for my country, but I don't see a solution to this because Americans, uh, we're, we're, we're nuts. We're absolutely crazy about this yeah. weird individual me, rights. Maverick, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I'm up against the clock. If, if I could just throw something at you real quick, because we just have 40 seconds yeah, before we're going to hit the top for of the me hour. As a gun-carrying, peace-loving man, I do. Sure. Um, in Australia in 1998, as I recall, there was this slaughter in Tasmania. The Australian newspapers in, published yeah. the pictures of the bodies. They published this, the pictures, of the, the, these god-awful, gory pictures. Within 12 months, Australia had gun control laws and, and a massive gun buyback that bought back over 600,000 guns from Australian citizens and destroyed them. And this is a country that's only, what, 30 million people, more or less. Um, should we start publishing the pictures of gun violence victims? I think we should. I think if we do, you'll see a change. What say you? we should publish them too but i don't think that's going to be enough to change people i think it will i i, I you know this is like emma till's uh, funeral I, I i think that when you see the actual results of brutality and violence when when a large numbers of people see it what actually you know this is the reason why the meat industry to your point earlier about being, being mostly vegetarian this is why they've gotten laws passed to make it illegal to film inside a slaughterhouse because young people were becoming vegetarians after they saw what happened Maverick, I got to run, but thank you for the call. It's a tough one. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And uh, let's see here, Tom in London, England. Hey, Tom, what's on your mind? What's on my mind is I was planning to visit after restrictions are allowing travel from the uk uh because i'm american as well but uh i don't even want to you know i don't even want to go when i keep hearing about mass shootings all the time i think there was what seven in the last uh 
seven or eight days? Seven days. Something like that? Yeah. Se- there you go. Yeah, seven, seven in the last seven days. So it, it's, it's a scary thing to, you know, to, to behold. And over here, there's no guns. I, I, you know, I've raised my daughter here. I've never had to worry about anything like that happening. And nobody here thinks, oh, I wish I had a gun to defend myself from a knife-wielding maniac, which is very, very rare anyway. Um, so uh, you know, what's the goal in the United States? Should it be the, you know, something like the U.K. or maybe Australia or maybe Canada? I mean, we've got to have some steps to, to get you know, to some sanity. But with all the, the Civil War legacy and the, and the racism uh, and the U.S.-style racism and the legacy of that with the filibuster and, and you know, with the gun laws the way they are, I mean, what a mountain to, you know, yeah. to get on top of. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you, so, Tom. And, and you can track so much of this back to the Supreme Court in the 70s, basically legalizing political corruption, legalizing political bribery um, with the Buckley decision and the, and the Bilotti decision, which then led to Citizens United. And so now you've got groups like the NRA who basically own politicians and, and the chemical industry and the pesticide industry and I, you know, pick at the, the oil industry and I just, you know, pick it. Um, but the guns in particular. Tom, thank you for sharing your, your perspective and your concern with us. It's, it's nice to hear from you. And thanks for listening to us or watching us on YouTube there in the UK. Kenyatta in Los Angeles. Hey, Kenyatta, what's on your mind today? I have several uh, of your books, and uh, one of uh, my personal favorite is The Hidden History of Guns. And thank you. You have been talking about the Second Amendment today, Tom. Uh, I, I wonder if you and your audience realize the racism of the Second Amendment and its connection to mass incarceration. I'll be as brief as possible. You had a caller uh, previously, that, uh, which was really ironic to me as I waited in the queue and talked about the black market of uh, guns. You know, for thousands and thousands of years, people hunted with bows and arrows and spears and all kinds of things. Uh, so to say that uh, you need a gun to hunt, uh, okay, you know, and I hunt and, and I, I, I actually love firearms. Uh, however, I don't know that folks really realize how particularly and particularly black uh, people uh, are affected by the Second Amendment and mass incarceration. You see, once you become a felon in this country, almost in, in most states, all of your, uh, once you, uh, the, the word penitentiary comes from the word penitence, and once you, which means you, you've paid your dues, you've, you've, you've been punished, and most of those rights are uh, restored, voting rights in most states. I know there are a few outliers, uh, but, the, but across the board, the ability to own a firearm is forever stricken. And it's really ironic that the very people who are most affected by gun violence, who are most oppressed by this society, which are black people in the United States, and you know that as well as I do, are then now rendered incapable of protecting themselves from the very government that harms them, unable to protect themselves uh, and their families as a result of being a felon. And so, you know, and the average black person that I know is, hell, I'm, I'm going to protect my kids, I'm going to protect my wife, but now this becomes double jeopardy because now you are a felon in possession of a firearm. Do you understand where I'm going with this? I absolutely do. Well, I'm glad because yes. I think that it's something that, that, that your audience needs to hear, and I think it's something that needs to be thought about because this is not an accident. Yeah, I, th- I think, in fact, if you go back to John Ehrlichman, um, and this quote has gotten some circulation uh, over the years, but it needs to be quoted more often. Um, Richard Nixon's right-hand man. He said, you have to realize uh, back in the 60s, we had, in the Nixon administration, we had two enemies, the anti-war hippies and black people. And he said, we couldn't make it illegal to be against the war to be black. So what we did was we, we, we uh, passed these, we, we associated hippies with marijuana, black people with heroin, heavily criminalized both. And then we were able to disrupt their communities. Um, we were able to disrupt, we were able to vilify them on the nightly news every night. And there was one other thing he said they were able, they were able to do as a result of that. But, you know, he said, did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. So, and, and you're, to your point, Kenyatta, it was just a way of getting more black people in jail. 
Kenyatta, I got to run. It's the end of the show. But thank you for the call. Thanks for putting a punctuation mark on the show today. I appreciate it. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. Yes, you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. There's so much we can all do, you know? There's so many ways that we can participate. So anyhow, we'll see you tomorrow. Have a great afternoon. Be good to yourself and the people around you. We're coming toward the light at the end of this tunnel here. If we can just get enough people to continue wearing masks. So see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.